wasn't much. I couldn't feel. It's a matter of time, I suppose. Welcome to Watchmen Minute, where we take a look at the director's cut of Zack Snyder's Watchmen one minute at a time. My name is Travis Bow from the Real Comic Heroes podcast. I am Eric Nash. Hey everybody, this is Brad Mendenhall from the Cosmic Geppetto podcast and Flash Gordon Minute. Because, you know, apparently one podcast isn't enough to make me crazy. (laughs) (laughs) I know what you mean. Welcome back, Brad. Uh, Thanks for joining us one one final minute for the week. Uh, Thank you. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, And this is the the minute. Uh, A lot of cool stuff in the previous minutes, but... I love this minute, and this is also great because this is one that wasn't in the original theatrical release, and uh, some some great po- some some great boxing here, and I love uh, I love good boxing in movies. Yeah, were you about ready to say pugilism? I was, but I was like, I, there's no way I'm going to get that word out of my mouth, uh, right? So. <laughs> yeah, there's that nice. Well, we'll obviously we'll get into it, but it definitely has that old timey feel, but. Uh... So yeah, this is Minute 135, which starts with Hollis receiving unexpected house guests and ends with Hollis on the ground, surrounded by old enemies. I was so glad that the minute ended when it did, because uh, <laughs> it's heartbreaking. Yeah. And I remember it being heartbreaking oh, yeah. when I read the comic. Um, now this, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more, like the differences between the comic and this. This is actually a, an instance where the movie actually really, for me, worked better than the comic because in the comic they just sort of bum rush him and you hear them say the old man hit me or something along those lines but you don't really yeah. see him giving the good fight mm-hmm. yeah they definitely uh, increased you know the the visuals here uh, it, pretty much just like the fight with eddie in the beginning of the story because yeah I, I flipped you know through the book kind of in this section and it's basically the majority of one page and it's kind of over um it's definitely bleeds over into the next page too but you know definitely you don't get the sense that he's fighting back as as well as he does here in the movie i don't really remember reading this section of the book and and having strong feelings i'm sure it affected me i'm sure i was sad to see you know hollis treated like this but i I feel a lot more strongly about the movie version of Hollis, and and it's it's tougher to watch the movie than it is for me to read the book. Just um, I remember when I read it. Now, obviously, Watchmen was a comic that broke the rules, and you do have it starting with one of the heroes, I guess, a comedian getting killed. But comedian was quickly presented as. An anti-hero at best, but he was yeah. a guy who obviously, you know, not not particularly deep into the story. You know, he deserved to die. Um, but Hollis, it was really shocking because he was a good guy, and he was a, not just that he was a good guy that he you know wore the white hat and he you know fought bad guys, but he also seemed like a legitimately nice guy, and he was sure. just sort of a you know peaceful, likable old man, and that character getting murdered. And not being rescued at the last minute by <laughs> anyone. Um, yeah. You know, Rorschach didn't come in at the last second and, you know, dispatch the villains or anything like that. It's like, no, they decided they were going to go kill him and they went and killed him. And it was um, pretty shocking considering the, at this point I'd only been reading comics for a couple of years and it was a lot of Spider-Man where sure. nothing like that would happen in Spider-Man. Yeah. Well, the closest thing to Spider-Man is Uncle Ben. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But... He's certainly not a hero as far as superheroics. Yeah. It's always kind of referred to as your uncle was killed and yeah, so much an origin thing. Well, and right. you don't see Uncle Ben, you know, struggling with the yeah. um the guy, the burglar, you know, that kind of thing. So it's generally more like told after the fact, you know. Right, yeah, it's here. You're seeing the visceral. it. It's, you don't see yeah. the, the, the 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 statue coming down or the, mm, the, the yeah. trophy coming down on his head. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's back up a little bit and go to the uh, beginning of the minute. Um, I know I think I mentioned this yesterday that you know we still have a little bit of Hollis just considering the phone for a moment before answering the door. Like they've knocked a few times now, and he still isn't you know as concerned. He's still looking at that phone and. I think I 
mentioned yesterday, just wrapped up in nostalgia and regret. You know, a little bit of probably thinking of uh, the time that was, you know, maybe wasted by not talking more to to Sally. So, has it ever been? I'm I'm trying to think. Is it mentioned of him being a widower or anything like that? Or, um, he was never married. I'm sure they talked about it. As far as like, yeah, I've never found the time or something like that, but mm-hmm. I don't, I don't recall any um, details. I guess about well, and it almost makes sense with how he is. I mean, well, I mean, it's, it's I mean, he, he's certainly single now. He's there's no one else in the house with him. Yeah, and you know, he was just talking with uh, uh, Sally. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know, kind kind of getting a little flirty there over the phone. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, essentially between yeah. the two, both ways. Yeah. yeah, it was, um, and it's, it, and we've probably all known people who are a little older like that, the, the, the grandfather, grandmother, or the, more specifically, the aunt or uncle that never got married. Sure. And they're living alone, and they're perfectly happy and comfortable. It's almost like, uh, I don't know, I, I've always viewed with a little trepidation whenever you find that friend or family member or whoever who gets married for the first time when they're 45. <laughs> I was like, that's gonna be hard because you're so set in your way so i didn't yeah. know if this is a thing if this is just one of those confirmed bachelors that you know he's that hit 45 is like oh it's getting a little too hard to sort of meld my life in with yeah. someone else's so cohabitation becomes difficult and yeah it's it, i know, you know I, I got married when i was 27 it was enough of a challenge you know and <laughs> yeah uh, certainly very happy being married and i'd I, never read the decision but it was a challenge for both of us it's like okay we have to be considerate of other <laughs> people in a completely yeah. different way than parents or siblings or anything like that it's like oh this is this is different i know they touch on you know in before watchmen which i know we can't you know regard here in the movie as as anything but i know they established that he was in love with uh silhouette um, despite the fact that she was in a relationship with another woman, and, and but he definitely carried a torch for her, um, so that might have been the before Watchmen reason for him never settling down with someone else. Maybe he just you know kept that torch you know, lit for her kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and it certainly makes a lot of sense. And in Watchmen was pretty daring. Uh, comic at the time because it, you know, had gay characters and I, I don't know if silhouette being gay was is was sort of addressed not nearly as brazenly as it was in the film because you can get away with some things more in two thousand nine in a film than in a comic book in sure. you know the, the early eighties but yeah that that would make sense I'm, I know those before Watchmen. Uh, comics, uh, they of course irritated Alan Moore because everything irritates sure. Alan Moore. Yeah, but I, I believe they were pretty well received, if memory serves. They, they got yeah. some good talent, by, especially writing talent behind them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. It, I've mentioned it many times. The The Minutemen by Darwin Cook, and that's the one I was that had the the bit about Night Owl and Silhouette because they were kind of partnered up, and then that's when he developed the. A crush on her, but that was in the in Minutemen. Um, and that's the one that I know for sure is the the highest regarded, just from what I've read and what I've heard other people say. So, and even in my own preference, that was that was my favorite of the of the bunch. Darwin Cook was just amazing. Yeah, there was no no one compared to Darwin Cook. So, by the way, when they called him Mister Al knocking <laughs> at the door, yeah. That, that, that should have been a tip-off, right? Does he usually answer to Mr. Al? Because he didn't even, like, it didn't even seem to throw him off that that's how he, mm. they were asking for him when they knocked. Right. So, I, um, I think maybe it's either a coincidence if he, if the, you know, the neighborhood kids maybe call him Mr. Owl, you know? I could, I could see that, like... The people in the neighborhood know him. He he was a cop for years in 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 and around this neighborhood, so they knew him as a cop. Then he became Night Owl. People found out about that after the fact when he wrote the book. So word would have gotten out that 
oh, that nice man, you know, that lives over the garage who works on my car, you know, that was Night Owl. So I'm sure that could transfer to the kids and, oh, Mr. Owl, you know, I, I don't know. But I, yeah, I definitely... It makes, I mean, it makes sense because he, he doesn't even raise an eyebrow. Right. Um, and, I, you know, when I'm watching it, I'm, I'm just thinking, it's like, is this just how kids or people refer to him in the neighborhood? Or is it just a thing he's so lost in the phone call that it doesn't even register? Yeah, that could be it, too. Well, so here's another thing um, to think about, I think. And I'm, I'm kind of making my way to the chronology because it's just been creeping up on me in my head as we've been as you guys have been talking. But I, and I did make the, the initial note I made was um, I put trick or treat in quotes. Mm, the, 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 sure. These guys say trick or treat. And I noticed the bowl of, I think, candy that if it were Halloween or maybe just close to it and he was just ready or he's just an old man. He likes to keep some candy <laughs> sitting there yeah. in a bowl um, like some like some elderly people yeah. do sometimes. Um and then I even said, why isn't he picking it up and carrying it, mm. you know, with them saying trick or treat. But then also he does have the um, the chain on the door, oh. too. I never so noticed the I don't know of candy people before. normally on, on if, it, if it were the trick or treat night, beggar's night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, for his neighborhood. Huh. Um, would people normally keep the chain on or just go ahead and be more lax about things and mm. on that one night? Of the year, at least. Hmm. It, yeah, it, it's it's just so hard to tell what's going on here, uh-huh. um, and, and intentionally. And I don't think you need to have every single thing. No, yeah, that's true. You know, chore, you know, choreographed, but yeah, it could just be a thing where people leave him alone. Because uh, as we're about to see, he's pretty tough. Yeah, I, I imagine he might have the reputation as the tough old guy in the neighborhood. Yeah, um, and his reputation of you know. Being night owl, um, you know, could benefit him. So he just may not be worried about it. Um, I, I'm trying to think. Does anybody remember if earlier when when we see him before, does he lock the door at any point? Do we ever see him, you know, put 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 the put the chain across the door? Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if we went back and looked at when Dan shows up after the fight in the alleyway with Lori when they were both headed over. You know, he opens the door and lets Dan in, but I don't recall if there was any sign of him unlocking the door in that way of like opening it just a just a crack to see who it is, and then you know throwing the chain. So I, that's definitely uh, that's homework for the listeners. <laughs> All right, kids, go back we, and watch. We this. can't be expected to to look back at old minutes. <laughs> He uh he says hold your horses when he's getting up you know for the for the door, um which we all know is is you know just telling someone to wait or slow down. Um, I looked it up and and literally the the phrase hold your horses was used in book twenty three of Homer's Iliad when Antilochus was driving a chariot like a maniac in a in a funeral game. He was telling him, I guess, to or referring to him, he needed to hold his horses to to slow them down. Um, Then it became an idiom in 1843 in like newspapers and stuff. Um, In September of 1844, uh, in the New Orleans Picayune, there was a article headline that said, "Oh, hold your horses, squire. Uh, There's no use getting riled, no how." And at the time, they were using hosses as a slang term for horses, but you know, still remain the same meaning. So, so that's a little history on uh, hold your horses. My grandmother used to say that all the time. Yeah. And it's a, and it becomes one of those family expressions that all of a sudden, that we all made fun of, <laughs> but now so much that we say it ourselves all sure. the time. So I'm pretty sure my kids are going to, you know, in 10 years, they're going to be making fun of dad for, you know, saying weird old colloquialisms yeah. until they start doing it themselves. It's like, ah, it's a family curse now. Yeah. Okay, so I did find, uh, according to the uh, Watchmen wiki, uh, the date of his death here is the 31st okay. of October. Yeah. And and it even, in the Wikipedia page, or not Wikipedia, the wiki page, yeah. <laughs> uh, it even does say 
uh, mistaking the group for trick or treaters. Yeah, yeah. Well, the so I mean that's but that's no, that's more likely the comic yeah. is what it's really yeah going towards. But yeah, the book does a really good job yeah. of uh, laying it all out there that like he's before this all happens, like he is um, carving a pumpkin, you know, uh-huh. and. Uh-huh. Uh, that we see the kids like on the street, you know, and they're in, in costumes, you know, maybe one's a pirate, one's a ghost or something like that. Um, and they're the ones that, you know, come upon the scene just after. So, um, you don't get a good sense here. I think in the movie that this is Halloween. I mean, they say Uh trick or treat and he does have like a black cat little face, um, on the door that I I don't think was there earlier. So that's like his, his decorations um but they really don't make a big deal about it being halloween i kind of surprised they don't go the route of having showing the kids you know at least down on the street maybe seeing the these uh, not tops running away and passing a group of kids who are headed to you know mr owl's place for their their yearly halloween stop or whatever but well it seems like a real miss for yeah. Zack Snyder, because yeah. how cool would it be, the, the great image of, you know, the the bad guys walking down the streets and all the kids in creepy costumes yeah. sort of getting out of their way, and uh, that, that could be really effective. Right. So. Yeah, like, I could see this this group passing the, the kids that, that show up and they steal the bag of candy, you know, just, just to be dicks, you know. Right. Um, yeah, just I, the, the malevolence of taking a... Literally taking candy yeah, from yeah. the baby, yeah, but and eating it on the way to there. It could have been a very cool slow motion thing. Yeah. So, missed opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. So, you know, they bust in. Um, I don't know if you guys have anything on the actual busting in and and this whole thing getting started. But what takes me, I think, the most in this minute is the music. Yeah, I'm that's sure. what I was going. Okay. Um, what do you what do you have on the, the well, music? Well, I just noted that it's a it's a synth bass kind of sound at the fifteen second mark. Huh. But then, what what is more even more interesting than that little bit is that it goes into this into the uh, a scored section, uh, you know, by uh, um, Tyler Bates. Uh, the it's, it's a very subdued and heroic feel, different, much different from a lot of what we have heard otherwise. Yeah. I think in the whole movie. A lot of the other stuff. I mean, every now and then there's like the little bit of guitar, mm-hmm. but this is this is much more. I don't know, uh, classic, classical. Yeah. Well, and, and in fact, it is. It is this part isn't a Tyler Bates score. Oh, it's not. Okay. No, so I was kind of wondering that too, um, and just because I couldn't recall hearing it in the the, mm-hmm. you know, on the album of, of the score. Um, so I look it up, and it's. Um, where is it? It's um, from an opera, Cavalleria Rusticana, um, which uh, by Pietro Mascagni. Mascagni. It's, uh, the app. The opera is thematically deals with a major character being killed in an honorable duel. Kind of fits with this, and even the name Cavalleria Rusticana means literally rustic chivalry, and just the the phrase rustic chivalry says Hollis Mason to a T like this guy is old school. He, you know, he's the nice dude on the block who would still help anyone that he could. I'm sure, you know, that kind of, that kind of guy. So yeah, just, just the, the music is perfect. Um, I actually found on YouTube, like a symphony, uh, just, just playing like the four minute piece of music that, that this is. And just from start to finish, it's really great. So I'll post that with uh, with the show notes and everything. I think just just based on reading the YouTube comments that this is also used in Godfather Three at some point. Just based on people uh, their their comments. Um, so that'll be on uh, Godfather Minute to to let us know if that's the piece of music in like seven years. Well, I also like what you're saying. You know, he's a nice guy who would help anyone in the neighborhood. And yeah, I imagine him being the because he's the mechanic and has his garage, you know, as garage 
and he's living in this small apartment. It's like you, you get the feeling that has a small apartment because he's not a good businessman. He, he feels like the sort of guy that if somebody can't pay their bill on time or if there's a, you know desperately need the car, he's just yeah. going to help them. And that's why he's living in this small apartment. Aside from the fact that he's single, living by himself, he's you know just too interested in like being the nice neighborhood guy. And everything from the way he dresses, the small apartment, the way he wants people to come over to tell stories, how even though it's a little suspicious, somebody calling him a voice, it doesn't really sound like a kid's voice saying Mr. Al and knocking. He doesn't like first think is like, oh, who's here or look through the keyhole or anything like that. Um, Everything about him is, you know, uh, just nice guy, nice neighborhood guy. Yeah. Um, One of the things that I noticed or thought about thematically you know a big theme in stories or anywhere um the sins of the father you know that's a phrase you hear all the time and it's the i forget the full phrase the sins of the father are visited upon the son i think that's how it goes something something yeah something like that um this is a case of sins of the sons or sins of the son um you know, this is a direct effect of Night Owl springing Rorschach, that getting back to people that, you know, Rorschach's run into, people that probably Night Owl have run into in the past. I mean, we saw Night Owl or Dan fighting with these guys in the alley, but that doesn't really count because he wasn't in costume, so they wouldn't have known that that was him. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a direct, you know... Like we just saw a couple minutes ago or last minute maybe um, these guys heading here because they heard that that owl guy lived, you know, up here. And they came here because they didn't they didn't realize it was an old guy, but they're still going to use it to exact their vengeance, you know, their revenge. So I don't know. Well, the thing is, is if it, if it actually had been Night Owl or you know, Dan's place that they went to and it was Dan that they were starting to you know attack yeah he probably would have taken care of him probably I mean, was, yeah you know elderly hollis was, was doing pretty good for a while <laughs> yeah and, and it's something you think about where dan these and sort of jumps back into this world and it's not really it doesn't seem like it's for any particular altruistic reason uh, although that you know he wants to do the right thing but more he just sort of does it and getting some excitement back in his life. So there's no real thought process to it. And he doesn't uh-huh. ever think about, hey, how this would affect anyone else in his life. Yeah. And um, I don't know if we would ne- if he should have necessarily seen this coming. Sure. But it does lead to, you know, later when he realizes what happened, his anger and I think guilt over it. And, you know, it's sort of t- tearing apart a little bit. Uh, and de- it's part of the deconstruction of yeah. what they're, you know, superhero world where there's going to be a lot of side effects when you do stuff like this and the wrong people are going to get hurt. Right. It it almost makes, I mean, you're, you're certainly getting at, getting at this idea before Travis, but the, the family of superheroes and if, if not for night, you know, Dan taking the night owl, mantle um you know mm. th- this might not have happened then either yeah i mean that, yeah. that that goes back to his original you know in the sure the uh, 60s 70s what have you it, it is interesting like with mm-hmm. this group of characters are what six main characters and then the a few of the the older retired characters like there aren't you know families in in this story you know everyone is basically alone you know they don't Mm -hmm. have extended i mean obviously Lori and sally you know are but that's you know and still basically what's that (laughs) and someone else too (laughs) sure yeah you know but like if this was a marvel universe you you know spider-man has aunt may and he has mary jane and gwen stacy and and you know they have the the supporting characters and people that are put in harm's way and people that they have to you know make sure don't find out their their secret because they would be put in jeopardy and you don't have that here because it is the real 
you know, Alan Moore is presenting this in a real world, you know, way. Like mm-hmm. they wouldn't, they would either drive everyone away or those people would, you know, suffer the consequences, you know, of this life. So, yeah, it, it just shows how ineffective the idea of secret identities is. And that's fine. It's that's the world of comics. Yeah. Um, I, I know there's been a little bit of deconstruction of that. Um, in the movies, in the MCU movies, Peter Parker is pretty much the only one with a secret identity. Yeah. Um, and in the comics, I know there's less and less of that. Everyone knows Iron Tony Stark is Iron Man. Everybody knows, you know, Captain America isn't really a secret identity. And even Spider Man, there are so many people that know he's Spider Man because the idea of keeping that actually secret's pretty challenging. Right. Um, and in in a Watchmen world, it definitely wouldn't work. Um, because again, first off, people can't keep that sort of thing secret. Um, and then you get to have sort of interesting scenes like this where, okay, everyone knows that Hollis was the, was Night Owl. And, you know, you also have just dealing with dumb people, not really doing the math. (laughs) It's like, uh, he's not really that old a man. And I just heard Night Owl. I want to talk about, you know, the fight itself, you know, just him obviously getting knocked down by the door is a it's a sucker punch kind of kind of thing it's a, it's a cheap shot you know throws him off guard but instantly he gets up he catches the first punch that uh, the guy tries to throw at him and then you see you get that great image of night uh, you know Hollis pulling the guy's fist aside with his right hook you know ready cocked and loaded it's like ready to to let fly and then just boom he starts hitting him you know he takes a well, well and the expression on the on the not top's face <laughs> yeah yeah i saw <laughs> that what too. I've, what I've paused on and like <laughs> oh my gosh his eyes yeah. are so wide and <laughs> yeah he's got the o face mm-hmm. i loved um yeah i i really loved just the fight choreography here because they could have easily done more of what they've already done with the fights where it's a lot of slow motion sort of Martial arts with a little bit of westernization. Right. Um, and, and that would be fine, and it would have worked, and you wouldn't have noticed. But it it actually really wouldn't have worked for Hollis, and especially when he talked at the beginning of the movie of why they became superheroes. It, mm. it wasn't... It, it was just the bad guys were wearing masks and people couldn't identify them, so the cops decided, we're going to wear a mask too so we can beat them up when we're off duty. And so a cop wouldn't be using... Advanced kung fu or slow motion, yeah. you know, yeah. spinning kicks. No, they'd be boxers, right? Yeah. So he, he, so he's a boxer, and he's, you know, real effective in, and he's also sort of an indication of what the Minutemen were, where they were brawlers. Yeah, they were brawlers. They were, yeah. they were basically just going to docks. They would be <laughs> somewhat better fighters than the guys they were fighting, but they were probably everyone <laughs> yeah. probably broke some bones and lost some teeth. Sure. I can't get enough of this fight. Just the, it's really rough, you know, watching Hollis get worked over like this, but it's so satisfying to see him hitting these guys. And especially uh, just the choice to flash back to his old enemies. Um, Uh I know they, that came from the book and everything, but just the way that Snyder does it here with this flashes of sepia tone and you've got, this Nazi guy in a gas mask and you've got uh, gangster. I think, yeah, it's gangster. And then spaceman, I think it's the other villain that he just puts his fist directly into the, the dome that he's wearing. And it's so beautiful paired with that music, man. And I understand why he does. Zack Snyder gets a lot of flack. Yeah. But he can really put together a well-framed scene and um he he can use slow motion really well he can overdo it on occasion sure but i I don't think this was the movie where he did and with the slow motion and with how well framed the shots are you really do see the impact and it's a pretty scene him punching the evil astronaut guy looks great (laughs) yeah oh so good and I was just noticing with the uh, gas mask when it's in the slow mo, post post hit or at at time of hit or post hit, you know, it's it's it ripples. Oh yeah, yeah. It's, it's an amazing effect that they chose. 
to do. Oh, have you seen yeah. those like uh, so many frames per second where you can, dude, like they'll just slap someone across the face and you can watch it and the rapid frame rate or whatever and you can see just it doesn't take much to much of a slap across someone's face to get the their entire face to ripple huh. like that. So. Uh-huh. I hope my wife doesn't hear that and like test it out. I was like, come here. I have my iPhone. Yeah, yeah. Just stay still. This is for science. Mm -hmm. Um. So second at second thirty three is the maybe only appearance. I'm wondering. I I can't imagine it be thrown in much more than it is here. But uh, on on the bottom shelf, the Watchmen trade paperback, which is in my hands practically right in front of me (laughs) as I record every time. Yeah. Um. At the bottom of the shelf. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't sure. I I think I mentioned seeing something for the first time uh, either yesterday or day before that I, w- I was going to talk about you know here, and that was it. I I never noticed the Watchmen book on the shelf, but yeah. Now, am I right? In the comic, the only time they were referred to as the Watchmen was just the graffiti saying "Who watches the Watchmen?" Oh, yeah. that, right. That, that wasn't something they called themselves. Right. Yeah, they were. It was either the Minutemen or the Crime Busters, but Watchmen were was just a, yeah, a phrase that was thrown around them. But in the movie, they do call themselves the Watchmen. Yeah, like I think so. Dan yeah. at one point is like, you know, forget about the Watchmen or something along those yeah. lines. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah, I think they didn't want to confuse audiences because I, I I suspect that. They figured that the general audience would assume that Watchmen was the team name, and if you start throwing around Crime Busters, that for one, it sounds kind of silly, you know. And there's, you know, why use that when you have the name Watchmen? I don't know, but I think Minutemen works because you can use it to describe the the first, the older generation. But no, yeah, it, it certainly makes sense, and it I don't think it detracts anything. Yeah. It almost felt like in the first in the in the comic, not calling it Watchmen was almost just being a little clever. Sure, um, which you know that's fine. It, it, it was a Alan Moore's a clever writer, yeah, and he's very good at sort of um, you know turning left uh, against your expectations. But when you're going for a wider audience, and as we discussed earlier this week, this was a pricey movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, you, you can't afford to be too clever when you're trying to do have an R-rated movie that appeals to a wider audience. Yeah. Yeah, I was watching the... I was kind of going through this frame by frame a little bit because the when the picture frame of the Minutemen falls to the ground, it does this weird hop to the like left. Like, it hits the floor and kind of just hops parallel. It just hops straight to the side <laughs> in this weird unnatural motion um i don't know if it's we need to make the glass break so we have to you know when it hits the f- ground we've got to pull it with you know string to the side just to jostle it or i, I don't know what it is but it doesn't look because it's also going in slow motion and so it it just has an unnatural impact on the floor where it doesn't just hit and then lean back, or you know, it just does a weird little skip to the side. Uh, no, it's it, it's coming off the wall, right? Sure, but it's kind it's of not, falling straight on, down. Because for a moment, I was thinking it was on. It could have been on the shelf and oh. staying up using one of those little foldy things off oh. the back, and that's yeah. what could possibly yeah. cause it to do something like that. This ju- weird jump, but yeah. I don't think that's the case now. Right. So I'm pretty sure it's off the wall. Yeah. But then, yeah, going, because I was looking at that kind of frame by frame, that's when I noticed the Watchmen graphic novel mm-hmm. on the shelf because that yellow text kind of kind of stands out yeah. um, when you're really paying attention. But before you know, looking at it for the minute, I was always focused on the picture frame, not looking at the shelf. So th- that was a complete uh, revelation for me seeing the, the Watchmen book on the shelf it's like the balls on you mr snyder <laughs> i i always love it when people get sort of cheeky with that i, yeah. I remember um god a year or so ago going to the theater to see uh evil dead the musical oh yeah um uh, which is a fun silly candy yeah, show I caught that in uh 
Nashville a couple years ago. And at one point, the young woman, uh, one of the actresses, she's like, oh, I'm just going to here and read a book. And then she like started reading Bruce Campbell's biography. It's like, ah, <laughs> good for you. Nice. I think they've got the book. Uh, they've got Watchmen in the you know in the owl cave like it's on dan's desk um i've seen huh. seen it in pictures but there's no scene with it in the movie because they don't like you might see the desk in, in a blurry background but it's never yeah. in focus so is it really there you know it doesn't matter if it's not even on screen but um but i know i've seen pictures of it where they've they've tucked the book in in and among dan's books on on his desk in the the layer so a lot of uh extra copies of under the hood getting tossed around the place so it's it's adds a little bit adds to the maybe the sadness kind of here he's surrounded by in, in this you know, museum of the the glory days and he's he's got all of his books that maybe never never sold or you know i don't know if this is a lot of books to have left over or It'd be you know probably worse if there were like boxes of of these books, but you know, hopefully he he's doesn't have a ton of these that that he wasn't he was never able to sell and it's it's a not unreasonable amount of books to have. I, I was yeah. actually uh, lucky enough God, twelve years ago. Uh, I was actually lucky enough to get a book published, and uh-huh. you, wow. you, you end up you end up getting some copies from your publisher and plus uh and mine went through a small press and then you end up just buying a handful of yourself cuz it's <laughs> like eh. if you do a book signing at a local place sometimes you just or or like a library or something you bring your own oh okay cuz you can't always trust the publisher or the establishment to order enough so it's like ah eh, just keep some handy gotcha well plus they'd probably be first edi- first prints too which yeah. would right. be nicer yeah. for the to be handed out with your signature. Yeah, yeah, you know, definitely. And, you know, you, you also just become, and then the publisher, like, it, they, they give you a certain amount, and then it's like, oh, by the way, if you want to buy more, and, of course, you're uh, speaking just for myself, you end up just being such a mark for yourself. It's like, I'll buy <laughs> this many. I'm pretty sure I have a box in the basement somewhere with, like, still a handful of those. Yeah. So what do we think? Any, uh, any maybe final thoughts on... Hollis's last stand. I guess we didn't talk about the the way it ends with him lying kind of on his back, looking up at at the knot tops. Yeah, I would just love to know who did the fight choreography because they, they did a great job of just you know showing what sort of boxing looks like. And I, and I studied the sport a little bit. Um, I was a boxing fan, especially in the nineties uh, and two thousands. Um, and yeah, it's. Uh, I grew up outside of Philly, so of course, like if you don't watch the Rocky movies, they raise your taxes. <laughs> sure. Um, but those are actually terrible. Like, it's one of those if you're actually a boxing fan or you know the sport at all, you know those are terrible movies form wise. Right. Because so much boxing is just keeping your guard up, and you you basically you box and you box and you box and you lose when you can't keep your hands up anymore. And Hollis always keeps his hands up. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea is to, you know, have that defense and just, you know, punch like he was. And if you, if you've ever seen a fight and, you know, go onto YouTube and they have plenty of this where guys who know how to box get into a fight with somebody who doesn't and just having a basic knowledge can make someone really dangerous. And that's what he is. He's a guy who's, you know, even though he's older, uh, he's obviously still has that uh, crazy old man strength that people get. <laughs> yeah. But he also knows how to fight. So you have these guys throwing haymakers and tripping over themselves, and he's just sort of staying stationary, has good form by keeping his legs underneath him and hands up and just clocks people. Um, right. So it, it was – and I sort of called out before. It's, it's nice that he fights different than anyone else because he shouldn't be, you know, using, you know, jujitsu or anything like that. He's, he's a boxer and – it was great. I really enjoyed. It. I could watch that over and over again. Him decking these guys one after another. Oh yeah. Although you know it's not going to, you know, change the outcome. <laughs> but it was sort yeah. of nice him sort of knocking them down a peg with him. Right. Yeah. It's always good to see, you know, him go down swinging. You know, I, I suppose. So. 
So it seems like uh, da- Damon Caro. Okay, good. You got him. I was scrolling and he's, for and that, he's too. And he's continued on with uh, Snyder for Man of Steel and ton of that movies. movie Superman. 300. And even Wonder Woman. Um, he's, yeah, he's done stunt stunts and fight for uh, fight choreography for um, assistant fight coordinator for the Bourne Supremacy, um, huh. Daredevil, the movie... Uh, Spider-Man 3, some more of the Bourne movies, and then you get into the Zack Snyder stuff, like 300, Watchmen, Sucker Punch, Man of Steel, yeah, all the all the Snyder stuff. And there are actually two other uh, co-fight choreographers as well oh, yeah. on this, on, on Watchmen. Uh, Richard what? Citrone and mm. um, Matthew Rigetti. Okay. I know... Richard Citrone, I know, is the is the Ben Affleck Batman stunt uh, double. Yeah. Um, I think here he's yeah. because we I follow him um, on Instagram. Oh. He was Adrian's fight right. double, um, but I know he was like a Kryptonian soldier in Man of Steel, like as far as like on screen, and then did stunts. I'm sure for that one too. So very cool. Yeah. Um, any last uh, thoughts for the for this episode or for the week, Brad? No, no, I uh, I think they sort of got it covered. Um, it, it's a good week. It was a, it was some good minutes, some fun stuff. Uh, I don't know. I guess fun is weird to say when it <laughs> ends with an old man beat, yeah. beaten to death. But you know, it, it, eventful minutes and um, you know, some, some neat choreography and some good character stuff. So, uh, yeah, thank you guys again so much for letting me join the fun. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so I am going to go into our script for the week. So we start back at minute 131 when um, we've got our, our trio, I suppose, um, Rorschach, Night Owl, and Silk Spectre uh, leaving the prison. Um see there's they're under heavy fire as well um dan actually asks rorschach basically to take over uh piloting says rorschach you remember how how to handle archie rorschach says i believe so uh, rorschach sits in the pilot's seat dan turns to Lori, high on adrenaline and love dan moves in to kiss her rorschach uh says daniel dan give us a second rorschach i don't think this can wait uh, Dan says, what is it? Uh, Dan looks up through the windshield and sees Dr. Manhattan walking across the clouds straight for the ship. Lori says it's him. Then Archie collides with Dr. Manhattan, who phases through uh, Archie into the cabin in a shower of blue particles. And basically the dialogue between Dr. Manhattan and Lori is very similar. Um in the script here, Lori says, they said you were on Mars. So she doesn't say the TV said you were on Mars. <laughs> um, I hate everything about that. Yeah, yeah, that's not it, great. It, I, I don't like the idea of Rorschach flying Archie. Okay. Because uh, um, Rorschach seems like somebody who can't drive, <laughs> much less yeah. fly the vehicle. Like He's such a weird, borderline homeless loner anti-technology or anything guy you can't see him driving a car or you know having the patience to be walked to be walked through is like this is how you fly archie (laughs) yeah yeah this is the pitch and this is the yaw and (laughs) yeah yeah he 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 would just not do that because stuff like that it just requires too much communication and too much um not being the smartest guy in the room and that's that is not rorschach yeah and the other thing I was thinking was that uh, if the roles were reversed, I wouldn't be able to see Rorschach letting anyone else fly a, a vehicle of his if he had one. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. sure. If he had the ability, he'd always want to drive. Right. Um, I mean, and also, that's such a trope. It seems like something that they would make fun of on um, uh, Cinema Sins. Like him saying, he's like, Daniel, it's like, you know. Give me a minute, and, and he's like, "You're gonna want to see this." It's right? Like, he wouldn't even, he would never be that circumspect. Sure. He would just say, "He's like Daniel." There's Doctor Manhattan. Yeah. Doctor Manhattan, straight ahead. Yeah. Um, 
So Lori and John, you know, they teleport from the ship. Rorschach tells Dan, uh, no, tar- no time for heartbreak, Daniel. So nice, uh, no time for love, Dr. Jones. Yeah. Um, Dan notes two blips on the radar. Um, and we see two NYPD helicopters appear behind the Night Owl ship. And then, like, they go on a chase with the with the police helicopters. Um, it cuts away, takes us to Mars. Um, plays a little bit differently as far as they arrive on Mars. She can't breathe. It says he touches her mouth, forming a small atmosphere around her, which just feels weird. Um, she says, John, you stupid bastard. Listen, you better not forget this air supply or whatever it is. Oh, shit. And then that's when she notices she's on Mars and the glass palace and all that. Uh, cut back to New York, and we're still... Uh, we The owl ship is weaving around buildings, um, having a hard time losing these uh, helicopters. They uh, head for a subway tunnel, and of course, you know... They go into the subway. There, eventually, there's a subway car headed straight for them. They manage to swerve at the, the last possible second, kind of thing, to uh, another track. And they l- get out of the subway, and then like the cops are there again. So it's I think I'm glad they cut that out, and there's not a police chase that goes on probably too long. They end up in the East River underwater. That's when it cuts to gang of a uh, group of gang members. Um, there was an earlier confrontation that I think I talked about. That that's what kind of leads into the uh, basically the same dialogue about uh, someone broke Rorschach out. It was a night owl character, that kind of thing. The phone call between Hollis and Sally. Hollis says, "Just like old times, Sal, Night Owl and Silk Spectre back at it again." We cut to Sally Jupiter on the other end in California, and she's watching the same footage, so she's at least up to date with uh, with what Hollis is telling her. She says, I always knew Lori had it in her. Sorry for waking you, Hollis. Oh, so maybe he, uh, maybe she called him. Yeah, he says, I may be retired from costume, but my sleeping habits have never changed. Uh, there's a knock at the door. Someone at the door, maybe Dan and Lori, they may need help. I better go. And then it says, Hollis hangs up, heads to the door, excited. And then he opens the door. So that's, man, that uh, that's heartbreaking. Yeah, it's, that's all fine. I, I, I don't think anything particularly better than what was in there. Uh, lateral moves, if anything else. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, I'm glad they didn't do the Rorschach, or the, the Dr. Manhattan beat that way and then the the helicopter chase that sounds like it's a that was a studio or well, i guess there wouldn't have been necessarily studio notes but it sounds like we need an action beat here it sounded really expensive <laughs> yeah 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 and no that's a good point yeah payoff yeah so you know yeah who needs that yeah <laughs> yeah i mean this was already a pricey movie so and it would there be no extra impact from anything that was in there yeah yeah. So it would just be adding money in. I like the way they sort of, they're about to kiss and this John being there rather than, you know, it would have a, it had exactly as much impact as him, like, walking through the clouds and everything, so. Right. So, yeah, I think that's going to do it for uh, week 27 here. Um, Brad, why don't you hit us with uh, with all your plugs and everything? And Well, yeah, uh, I... Guys, it's been so great to be joining you this week. Um, and if people have enjoyed me uh, ha- having fun with the guys, um, you know, I have my own little pocket of the minute by minute world. At uh, I am the co-host of Flash Gordon Minute. It's uh, three episodes a week where we go by the 1980 Sam Jones classic, uh, one minute at a time. So we talk a lot of Queen and we talk a lot of Sam Jones, and it- it's uh, we have a great time doing that. And uh, we have a weekly pop culture podcast that I uh, co-founded and host called the Cosmic Geppetto Podcast. And uh, those are available on your favorite podcatcher. So, uh, yeah, come and give us a listen. Absolutely. Um, Let's see. We've got got merch over at TeePublic. 
if you want to be cool, you can be spotted in a Watchmen Minute shirt or... Um, I actually thought of a way to uh, get around their search search feature today. Oh, yeah? Just do it in Google. Just put in T-Public oh, yeah. and then do a search for whatever you're looking for. Oh, cool. That seemed to work. I just had a conversation with Tierney Steele, who uh, is part of the minute-by-minute Minute world. Sure. Um, and uh, she's she's wonderful, and she was saying she has uh, her... She has a young child who she uh, drops off at daycare, and they asked her, it's like, oh, can you make sure to you know write the kid's name inside the onesie so we don't get it mixed up? She's like, mine's the only kid in minute-by-minute minute podcast onesies every day. Nice. It's like, how many Indiana Jones minute onesies are you seeing? Right. Because if there's someone else, I want to meet them. Yeah. That's great. Uh, yeah, so um, thanks to Pete and Alex over at Star Wars Minute. We always like to give them a shout-out for uh, getting this whole thing started. And what else? And, and at the time of this recording, there are 112 <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, different shows on the moviesbyminutes.com website listed there. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, <laughs> there's so many, it's hard to, you know, stay current on on more than like two or three or four maybe you know so a lot of binge listening for for <laughs> so many of them but um but yeah i think that's gonna do it for us um what else find us on twitter and instagram at watchmen minute and you can like our facebook page at facebook.com slash watchmen minute and discuss with us uh Things that happened this week at uh, in our group, uh, the Crime Busters Listener Society. Sounds like a plan. All right. Thanks again, Brad. Uh, thank you, guys. Uh, it was great having you. Th- this has been a great time. I've uh, had a lot of fun. Good. All right. We will be back next week for minutes 136 through 140. Find out what happens uh, with Hollis. But uh, until then, who watches The Watchmen? We do. We do. Watchmen are over. So I've tried to touch. I've told the truth. I didn't come to fool you.